We're watching the Bubba Duke tonight. Bubba Duke. Not quite on either count. It's your killer host. My name is Parker, your resident horror fanatic. I'm Caroline, scaredy scream queen. I'm Ian, scary movie skeptic. And welcome to... What's Your Favorite Scary Movie is a horror film podcast where we're on a journey to find our favorite scary movie one at a time. Whether you hate them or love them, join us and discover yours. So tonight, we watched The Babadook from 2014. It was written and directed by Jennifer Kent, who is our first female director. Well, on this podcast, not ever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I would but hope not. Congrats. Um, this was also her first feature-length movie. She is Australian, and she had done a lot of short films and things of that nature. She's also an actress, but she got the funding. You saw at the beginning of the movie a lot of the like producing credits Cody. were like Australian oh. this and Australian that. So Australia funded this movie basically. <laughs> I didn't catch that those were Australian accents. You didn't catch the titles that just yeah said the Australia titles were like every Australian screen I, this an Australian film. I didn't pay attention to that, but then I thought they were British the whole time. No, yeah, no, <laughs> they were Australian. What? This movie stars Essie Davis, who plays Amelia, formerly seen as Mrs. Lovett in a 2006 TV Sweeney Todd and Isolation, a 2005 Irish horror movie. As Samuel, we have Noah Wiseman. And as the Babadook, we have Tim Purcell, who actually worked in the art department, but stood in for the monster until they decided to keep him. Big career. Spooky. An IMDb summary, quote, A widowed mother, plagued by the violent death of her husband, battles with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. Rotten Tomatoes scores it 98% from the critics and a 72% from the audience. The Babadook relies on real horror rather than cheap jump scares and boasts a heartfelt, genuinely moving story to boot. So, Uh, I... uh, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So I specifically wanted to watch this movie together because I think it's a prime example of how horror can be used differently from what we've seen in the past and can be used uniquely to address issues and things in um, its own way. You know, we've seen slashers, we've seen teens at camp and babysitters, uh, even Saw where we said we had more to, to chew on and chat about, I think was a different breed than this. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, totally new breed in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that right now, 2019, we're in like a smart horror renaissance, renaissance, if you will. Mm. And uh, 
the Babadook in 2014 had been preceded by It Follows, which I also think is a very smart movie. And then post Babadook, we had things like The Witch and Get Out and um, Hereditary. And we have more coming this year. We have Us coming up this month from Jordan Peele, director of Get Out. We have Midsummer coming later in the summer by uh, Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary. I think it's going to keep flowing for a few First reaction. Yeah, what were your first reactions to this movie? And then we'll get into the nitty gritty later. Oof. I got a lot of feels in this movie for some reason. First reactions. I didn't realize this until I was looking at a list of the characters, but I connected Mrs. Roach and all those roaches. Whoa. (laughs) I did not connect that during the movie, but that's just something that crawls up on you. You know? You know, I want to say this is in a league of its own, uh, but I also feel like there's, for some reason, a connection between this and Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if you guys get that vibe, but... I mean, I think the themes run a little bit deeper in yeah. this one, and I think that's where you're probably making that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the whole point of, like, it's deeper than just a scary movie. It's also way more psychologically thrilling i would say i think that's what I you're saying like with like the intelligent hybrid, horror a hybrid between like let the right one in and conjuring i think um well maybe that's because monster paranormal yeah i don't know you might be onto something i feel like let the right one in is they took a monster and developed the themes around that monster. And this one, I feel like they took a theme and developed a monster around that theme. So maybe like a reverse, let the right one in. Yeah, I could agree with that. Smell what I'm stepping in, Carol. <laughs> Smell something. <laughs> um, did you guys notice that I think say? all houses used in horror movies are set up the same. There's always a big. I thought it was the same house as the big. Country. Yeah, big, long staircase leading to a door. It was like that in The Ring. It was like that in The Conjuring with the freaking door that leads downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think this one in particular was stylized because everything was gray. Even the lampshades were were black and like uh, there was a very intentional gloom to this house. But I'm saying like the design. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All the same. I literally thought it was the same house for a little while. I thought that was a really cute house. I thought I would live in that. Uh, I'm a thing against it was, creaky houses. It was we live in a pretty creaky <laughs> one. It was cool. I I was confused because it's like the stairs went up and then you turned around and there was like a half staircase down to mm-hmm. another hall. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. I would like to take a a waltz through that bad boy. Anyways, I I it was just a journey for me. I mean, I thought it was kind of going Whoa. It was going one way in the beginning and then I got thrown off and then it like Kind of got tied up very neatly in a bow by the end for mm. me. Boop, boop. I don't know that I felt that way. I felt kind of the opposite way. I felt like I was expecting everything. And then by the end, like the very end, I was just like, what is going on? Hmm. So well, let's get into confused. it. Then. Yeah. But I could see how you could think like, oh, this is going to be an evil child movie. Yeah. Omen-esque. Oh, this might be a haunted house movie. Conjuring-esque. Yep. Oh, uh, this might be this and that, and that and that. But no, it's something I think very uniquely Babadook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very Babadooky. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. 
I think um, big standout for me was is the sound design of this movie. Ooh, yes, I definitely picked up on that. Too. Mm-hmm. When I watched this for the first time with I was in college and I was my roommate and I had planned like a movie night and we we're gonna watch it. And then this girl, you know, finagled her way into our movie night. So she was there and we're like, we're watching this movie. And she's like, oh, I can't watch a horror movie. I'm like, well, we didn't invite you over and we're watching it. And she's like, okay, so what she fucking did was she sat with her back to the TV the whole time and would ask us what was happening. (gasps) But I told her afterwards, I was like, I think you got the worst of the movie because to me, the sound is the scariest part of the whole movie. Yeah, way scarier. But I thought it was very intelligently designed. Just like the humming and stuff that happens mm-hmm. in the background. It's very, I don't know, tangible. kind. Yeah, of. they gave you all of the cues for mood and what was happening based on the sound score. But even kind of like a disruptive sound, like when the when Samuel is at the doctor and it's just like that like whirring noise. I think it's just your that. obsession with ASMR. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it was not it was a very auditory movie. Yeah, it yeah. Um I also on that note love the practical effects, how everything looked built and made. I think the only like special effects we got was like when that uh, the husband's head cut in half at the very end. Mm. At least from my untrained eye. And I thought that was really fun. It's like the difference between The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, where everyone looks like shit video game characters. You know, that's, you, you haven't seen Lord of the Rings. No. Well, Lord of the Rings, Ugh. it's like it's all makeup and costumes and built, and it's gorgeous and it's fun because it feels real. And then The Hobbit, it's all computer stuff, and it just looks terrible. Uh, I guess I gotta watch them. Well, not The Hobbit. In one day, you have to watch them all. Anyway, <laughs> Babadook. Yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, so I just thought all the effects were really fun because uh, it's kind of like uh, just like a, they made a world for it that you felt like could be real. I felt like I could touch everything in that movie. Yeah. I like that. I think one of my favorite moments was when they were in the car and they were driving back and Samuel had his... Like, freak out moment. Yeah. Panic panic attack. I think, like, one of the things that I thought was really cool about this movie was their ability to, like, take you out of, like, what you're thinking and then put you into reality. And I think that was one of the moments where I was, like, the, the construct of, like, seeing this monster or not seeing it. Well, you know? I had the same thought like and at that point in the movie we hadn't seen much of the monster it was just like little hints of it and at a certain point i thought is this going to be the whole movie and it kind of turned my perspective on what horror was like when he was screaming in the car i was like wow that's horrifying like that is like that in itself the way that they positioned it is scary but like something that you don't have Mm -hmm. to take an extra mile to make gory or gross which is like why i don't like scary movies yeah and another way that the sound uh Mm -hmm. plays into it because they set it up with the book like how the knocking is his like first impression so they they built in noises that we could expect and look for and then be scared by yeah but that that scene was my my first clue in and then the second scene that pops out from that is when 
the mom has her freak out in the car too. And they're kind of parallel, but like very much so heightened the second time around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and she's the one driving the car too. So higher stakes. Yeah. But like, and then you see like the cockroaches and then you see the monster kind of fly over the car and then like the, it kind of just spins out of control, but still very realistic. And it's like in daylight. I don't know. That kind of like brought me back into it. Yeah, and going over my list of everything that happened in the movie, a lot happens. But I think this is one of the, like the best um, progressions of watching her go from just like a sad person to like a she yeah. needs help crazy person. Yeah, it was very like one step at a time. So you were like, by the end, you were like, well, I've seen this be done to her, like happen. Yeah, because at mm-hmm. the beginning, you don't, you don't even think for a second that she has some type of you know, problem. But I don't think it was, I mean, personally, what I took away from that was, I don't think the progression is what caused her to have what happened. I think it was a, like a preconditioned deeper thing. No. Yeah, for sure. I'm just saying like for us as an audience to go on that journey with her throughout the movie, like, I don't think everything was okay with her at the beginning. She seemed sad and tired, but I think the progression of it creeping into a place where she couldn't control it anymore was a plus gold star Mm -hmm. if you guys had to like pinpoint a breaking point what would it be i'm curious probably when the book showed up back at the door i'm gonna say that one book returns she opens it additional pages of her killing people and she burns it that's the breaking point for me i kind of think she still has it together but when she goes to the police and she mm. sees the, the like paranoia because that's the first time that we see the Babadook in real life, like her imagination. Yeah, of it, the, I guess. the code on the wall. Yeah, I could see that. I do want to backtrack a little bit to the first appearance of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a spooky, mysterious book. She doesn't know how he got it, but she's like, OK, let's read it. And it's creepy from the start, but she doesn't pick up on that <laughs> until it's a little too late. Um and I think that even the first time or two that I saw this movie, the opening lines of it. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. I think that is just like the whole movie in a few lines. Like, that's so good. This book. I love the book. They had a limited release of books you could buy. Did they oh, really? Gross. Yeah, but I was not... Um, on top of that, they sold out. <laughs> That's this crazy. Also reminds me, I've been thinking about this constantly of this YouTube kids thing happening right now. Yeah. With Momo. Did you see the video that someone shared? No, I don't want to. It is so spooky. Ian, do you know about this? I I saw a headline, but I didn't look into it. So it's just in the middle of these kids streaming platforms. They're like oh, spliced. Oh, like creepy. Yeah, they're spliced into these things made for kids this like creepy monster that pops up named Momo and tells them to do what she says or she'll watch them while they sleep and she tells them to like cut their wrists and stuff. So that's what this is. I was triggered watching that tonight. That's crazy. It's terrifying. Yeah, real life horror movie do we right know, there. Has anything like happened because of it or are they just like found it? I don't know. I haven't. I All I've seen is articles circulating about like Someone saw it and posted about it, and now more people are like finding it. But I haven't seen 
anything. I'm not that I have seen anything that says nothing has happened. I haven't looked to see if anything has. But that's what the Babadook book reminded me of. And I think, especially I mentioned the time when the book comes back to the front door when we get a good knock, a little duck, duck, duck. And she finds it again. That is um, the first clue I think I would have into what the Babadook might symbolize. And that it's something going on within Amelia and not external necessarily. I thought the book was going to show up again after she burned it. Well, the Babadook showed up after she burned it. So I don't think we needed the book again. The first time we see the Babadook physically is when she's doing the dishes and sees him, sees him behind creepy. Mrs. Roach. Yeah. I think for me, that's the like scariest horror movie moment of the movie. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, that was a moment of like a different, because I mean, the scares in this movie aren't jumpy like Rotten Tomatoes said even though Rotten Tomatoes was a little rude to jump scares I think there can be value in those but and I couldn't tell if the movie wasn't trying to do jump scares or if they just weren't well executed because like I'm thinking of like at the end after the Babadook kind of falls to her confrontation and she goes like touch the hat and then it rises up really fast and screams at her that's like a moment where it's like oh were we supposed to jump because I didn't? Yeah, I, I, like- I kind of jumped when it showed the shot of Samuel stabbed on the couch, mm, and we yeah. didn't know what had happened. Yeah, that that would have been dramatic. But I think I think there's a difference between like that type of jump and like a like a proper yeah. jump. That was like a shock, a shock. I guess. Yeah. 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 That's more of like a, a shock to the to the mind instead of to the body. A jolt. Like yeah. the, oh. One thing that kind of kept popping up for me is this distortion of time and like not knowing what's real and not. Um, I think they played a lot with light, like either sunlight or like the, the light of nighttime like the moon i guess Mm -hmm. and that was really interesting to me because at a certain point in the movie i lost total distinction between night and day there was a moment that stands out to me uh with light where um it's during the climactic night um at the end of the movie when she's I can't remember. She like yelled at Samuel or something. He runs away and then she's trying to apologize and like trick him. Uh, It's Uh right before he stabs her in the stomach. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like crying and there's light on her face. And I remember that because I was like, Oh, like, is it daytime? Is it over? Is there going to be another night? Mm -hmm. Um, And then as she gets closer to him, the light goes off of her face. Yeah. Well, I noticed it earlier in the movie too. Like when she's, sleeping and tired and i think it's a point to that factor i guess of like the whole like sleep and distortion of time and reality Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean that can be added into we are um we're kind of being confused just like they are in a way yeah we're um disoriented yeah. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we're just as distor- disoriented as yeah. Amelia is. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I think they did a good job of that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And like I was saying, you have to have a moment. And I mean, for me, I said it was the second, the return of the book, the return of the Baba book. Um, <laughs> for me, it was that, but I think it could be, there are multiple points in the movie that you could pick up on it being internal for her mm-hmm. with that disorientation. Mm-hmm. Cause like we said, it, it seems like it's about the sun, but it's not something that I think is really interesting in this movie um, is the relationship between Amelia and Samuel because clearly she's, even though it's been seven years, not over the death of her husband. And she clearly, um, is horny. Uh, no, <laughs> no, she clearly, um, associates her husband's death with his life. And so she has this oh. back and forth. Yeah, please. <laughs> she has this back and forth of trying to feel like the the responsibility of motherhood in a way that she's expected to with like her resentment of her son for what she, I guess, perceives as causing her husband's death. It's interesting. Because there are multiple points that come up where we question or someone literally says something about her not loving her son. Died. I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Sometimes I just want to smash your head against a brick wall until your fucking brains pop out. You're not my mother. And so there's like this whole thing where it's kind of like the whole time I'm kind of like I want her to win and get better, but is her relationship with her son damaged? in a way that is repairable. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's that damage. I oh. think she really does love her. I, I honestly, I don't know. There's literally a scene where she says, I, like he hugs her. She pushes him away. There's a scene where she says, I wish it had been you instead of him. And what? I don't know. There's but so that many is all... That's a traumatic event. I know. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think it's really interesting to not only dive into this process of grief, but in the um, product of it where her son is so open to and like like hungry for knowledge and like discussion about his father. But she at every at every point where he is pressing her for like love or affection or attention is just pushing him further and further and further away. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's an irreparable. I don't I can't think of words. I, well, I think that's I think, irreparable. I, don't, I, don't I think know. the relationship between them is going to be like that forever. I think maybe after Well, the, now after this movie, <laughs> it definitely is going to be. But. Well, he had a pretty solid head on his shoulders about knowing what was his mom and what wasn't. Do you, yeah. Do you guys think they both have... At, by the end of the movie, I was questioning whether, the, whether Samuel had any type of, like mental illness or I think the Babadook is a presence that had taken hold of their household and that Amelia was the one that allowed the Babadook to infest uh, her physically and mentally and that Samuel maybe because of age or something like that did not become possessed by well I thought the scene in the car was showing him becoming possessed I think that was, for me, his resistance to the Babadook. Oh. 
Because we saw literally that Babadook enter Amelia and that scene where he crawls up on the ceiling and dives into her mouth and then she throws him up later. So I think the Babadook is more of a presence that has the power to the power to overtake you. But it's an issue of, you know, confrontation and accepting, you know, this whole idea of mental illness and addressing it. And she was trying to repress it. And that's not something that you can do. Mm. She needed help. Yeah. But back to this, the I'm, I'm really curious about this motherhood issue and especially how maybe uh, the burden of responsibility for that, that everyone's expecting from her might even exacerbate the issue of what's going on in her, her struggles because she feels so, uh, responsible to her child, like seems like at the birthday party with the moms right. judging her. And any time like the social workers came to her house and stuff, it seems like she almost got worse after every one of those confrontations with outside people. I don't know if those social interactions were what instigated those like spirals down. I think one just happened because of the other. Like the like him getting kicked out of school led to her having to miss work, Robbie coming over. Like one thing just spiraled into the next. And I don't think it was necessarily like cued by the social interactions. It weakens her. Everything is weakening her. Her not sleeping is weakening yeah. her. Mm-hmm. Which Sleep is, probably had a big thing to do with it. I'd yeah. So I, I, for me, like a very powerful moment in the movie was when she was tied up on the floor, masterful knots from Samuel, but yeah. he also knows how to build crossbows and slingshot backpacks. So good for him. Yeah. But, um, when she's like yelling and he says, no, you don't love me. I love a dog won't let you, but I love you, mom. That was a very powerful moment for me because I think it, I, it was, yeah, it was him. It was him. He helped her. So what I think is cool about this movie is that, that psychological issues are given a, a tangible image. And so when dealing with things like that, I think this movie can be powerful to watch because there are tons of movies that deal with loss. Um, I was thinking about rabbit hole with Nicole Kidman and that other guy who's hot um, and they lose their son and they're dealing with grief and it's just a sad movie. And I feel like this movie's different because horror movies have the power to take an awful situation like dealing with grief and illness like this and give, give you a physical manifestation of it, which I think is a source of power. I would say that I would have to disagree with that. I think it would not help. And I will say that's coming from experience. So I feel like it would just heighten things. Yeah, but you don't think think like down the road after you've dealt with it, like the power of shared experience wouldn't be. No, watching that just brings back all the memories. Mm. Well, yeah, that's not something I've experienced. Yeah. I read a great article in the New Yorker called Morning Through Horror Movies by Aaron Orbe, who was talking about how when he was a child, his father had been shot and killed um, in Turkey when he was on vacation with his family. Something he wrote about watching this movie was um, he said um, he was pointing out how typically the sick quote, the sick logic 
of many horror films holds that victims of violent crimes solicit their own suffering. The babysitter ought to have called the police when the kids went missing. In the 2000s, The Ring and One Missed Call mocked technology, fanatics, characters to latch electronics, and how this movie in a new age of horror was able to turn this so that you're facing a force that you're able to control your suffering instead of suffering at the hands of your uh, lack of power. And then he also said, quote, we are sometimes drawn compulsively to the very things that scare us as a method of mastering them. So I just thought that was really interesting and a really nice article that was thoughtful and about the power of horror movies, because I think that's kind of what this podcast is about, is trying to find significance in horror movies, which people think are insignificant. I just thought that was a really interesting article, so go read it. The last thing I want to bring up is that you might not have noticed this. Caroline, we went to Pride 2017 together, Mm -hmm. um, but you had not seen this movie. But the Babadook was a huge figure at Pride in 2017. So in 2016, a Tumblr user, Ian-stagram, Ian-stagram, (laughs) (laughs) posted and said, quote, when somebody says the Babadook isn't openly gay, it's like, did you even watch the movie? (laughs) And people went crazy over this post. And there is uh, what was known as the Baba Discourse on Tumblr. And eventually... Uh, so everybody was arguing. They're just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever read. Or people are like, yeah, you're so right. And <laughs> eventually he responded himself again and said, a movie about a gay man who just wants to live his life in a small suburb. Uh, it may be just a movie to you, but the LGBT community, but to the LGBT community, the Babadook is a symbol of our journey. What? And so from there, it just spiraled out of control. And somebody posted this screenshot, doctored, of course, of Netflix LGBT movies with the Babadook <laughs> oh listed. Oh, my God. Um, and they wrote, which this is from an Instagram account notably called Taco Bell Ray. <laughs> of course. Uh, and said, so proud that Netflix recognizes the Babadook as gay representation. And then this is uh, an image that circulated during Pride 2017 <laughs> where he uh, was featured on floats and lots of costumes involving face paints, long fingers, and top hats. And it says on the shirt, get ready to be Babashook. That's amazing. There's <laughs> also an incredible, I'm trying to, I don't What's think What's the theory it. behind it? Uh, someone said something silly and everybody's like, hell yeah. They're oh, just okay. trolling. So really. Okay. I mean. They never said he wasn't gay. People tried <laughs> to, like. There, you can go read like things Illuminati about people. Connection, like no, you can go read like articles from people who are like, "Oh, we've gone through the movie, and this is how it's a movie about gay people." And like, whatever. Like, if you read it, it's like, I guess that works, but that's not actually what the movie is about. But it's just all in good fun. So yeah, he is also culturally significant, as well. <laughs> uh, and also a really cute picture after it came out of the Babadook and Pennywise dating. Nobody was really murdered in this movie, but what would you say is your most memorable scare of the Babadook? I hate to bring this up again, but the dog dying in every horror movie, that was so sad. That was a pretty dramatic death, too. We saw it. Such a cute dog, too. I mean, that's that was a memorable murder. murder. It was a murder. It was a murder, in fact. Scare, I would have to say, probably the... 
behind the old lady. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I like that one too. The only time I actually jumped was when she sees him come out in the kitchen and then his hands go. Mm. That that gave me a little. Uh, so then what's going to haunt your dreams tonight? So this is a little obscure, but you know when she's watching the TV and she turns on the news and it's like, basically like what would have happened if things would have derailed police say the woman used a kitchen knife to stab her son his body was found in their basement the woman later attacked officers with the knife they drew their guns and shot her to death little is known about the tragedy but neighbors say the boy was celebrating his birthday today he had just turned seven and she's in the window and she zooms in and she's (laughs) smiling in the window so scary. I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to stick to uh, behind Mrs. Roach. Anytime there's just like something in a horror movie of somebody just like going about their normal lives and somebody's watching them. I hate it. Hate it. Yeah. I'm probably going to imagine that when I come out here for water in the middle of the night. I already. <laughs> it's so dark. I don't want to bite into soup and have glass in it. Oh, wow. Mm. So that's going to be what haunts me. Yeah. yeah. Was that explained ever? Uh, the Babadook did it. He said it. End of story. I'm not going to ask if you would have survived because what a sad thought. Mm. <laughs> um, so on a scale of one to ten prideful gay Babadooks, how would you rate <laughs> this movie? I have already decided. I was thinking about it during the movie. I'm going to give the Babadook uh, eight and a half out of ten Gay Babadooks. I also am going to be giving it eight and a half gay Babadooks. Aw, twins. Also, that phone call was really creepy. I felt like the phone call was the most gimmicky moment of the movie. Yeah, it definitely was. That's why I wondered if the scares were poor in execution or just not intentional jump scares because there were a few moments where it's like, they're just trying to give us horror movie things. Yeah. And so I feel like if those jumps, if they had the ability to make those jumps jump scarier, they would have. They just couldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 7.5, which means that is the top of my ranking right now. Wow. So an 8.5 for me and Ian and a 7.5 from Carol. So, what would you say is your favorite scary movie? Baba Duke. Ooh. It's staying up there. Let the right one in. Ooh. Wow. By the thin hair on the your chinny chin chin. On the chinny chin chin. You know, I don't know how we're going to rank all of these movies on just a Yeah, they're getting scale. too they're getting too good. There's going to be some ties for sure. All right. Well, From last week to this week, we stayed on the theme of Australian filmmakers. And from this week to next week, we're going to stay on the theme of sharp, pointy fingers and watch A Nightmare on Elm Street. Sounds like a holiday movie. Um, So, yeah, watch that this weekend and then look forward to a hot new episode on your podcast feed next week. Until then, please go on to Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a little rating and a review to get a shout out on next week's episode. 
this week's shout out goes to Jenny Granberry. A podcast so good, it's scary. Can't wait for more episodes. Wow, we can't wait for more people like you, Jenny Granberry. Aw, thanks, Jenny. All right, my name is Parker Heron, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Parker Del Rey. My name is Caroline Lloyd, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Caro Manifesto. And my name's Ian Hoyt. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ian Hoyt. Great. And you can find all three of us on Twitter at Scary Movie Pod for the hottest gossip on the pod and horror news. Bye. 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 Bye.